The Minnesota Deer Hunters Association is your conservation organization. The mission is to protect the future of wild deer and deer hunting through habitat, education, advocacy, and legislation. Since 1985, MDHA has restored and or acquired and donated over 75,000 acres of public lands, sent over 15,000 youth through summer camps for hunter education and firearm safety, and represented your voice at the Capitol on hunting and conservation issues. MDHA's Hides for Habitat program recycles your harvested deer hide into quality habitat around Minnesota. To date, MDHA has collected over 1 million donated deer hides, raising over $5.9 million to preserve, enhance, and restore your public lands. To find Find an orange hide drop box near you or join your local chapter, visit mndeerhunters.com and join MDHA in protecting the future of deer and deer hunting in Minnesota. As hunters and conservationists, it's our responsibility to give back to the landscape we rely on. There's no better way to do that than join and support the Minnesota Deer Hunters Association. Visit mndeerhunters.com today. This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Federal Ammunition, Onyx Hunt, Walton's, Nutrisource Pet Foods, Aluma Trailers, and by North Dakota Tourism. My guest today is Rich Wong, also known as Whisk Me Nord for you Instagrammers. Rich just returned from a late season bird hunt in North Dakota. We'll recap his hunt and a very busy bird hunting season filled with successes, failures, lessons learned with his young bird dog Trigger. We'll also dig into the world of outdoor photography, social media, influencers, do-it-yourself dog training, and a whole lot more. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. I am Travis Frank. I'll be your host today on what I believe to be a roughly one-hour tour through bird country. Brandon Morton is our producer, as always, but he is not here because I scheduled this podcast out of the middle of nowhere last night after talking with Rich. Uh, we just made this work today, Rich. I appreciate you coming in here on very short notice. We are a few days ahead of Christmas, so I thought, why not come up with a couple of Christmas gift ideas for you bird hunters out there that maybe they'll fit into your stocking. Maybe it's a bigger item, but these are a few things that are my favorites. So perhaps they may be a perfect gift idea for somebody in your world that loves to bird hunt like we do. And then Rich, if you have anything to add, you know, while I'm listing this off, feel free to jump in here. Okay. All right. Um, so Walton's has a 13 days of Christmas sale going on right now. So there's a lot of different um, items on there that you might be able to find on their site at waltons.com. Obviously, if you're looking for a stocking stuffer from them, I would like to suggest a digital thermometer. I have one that I just leave in my Ice Castle Fish House, also known as my bird camp. Um, that way it's there, but I also have one at home. I take it pretty much everywhere because man, the temperature on wild game is so dang important. You overcook it, now it's no longer delicious. That's just the, the number one rule with wild game, do not overcook it. The digital thermometer is a very inexpensive item, but it really has upped my wild game cooking and would fit nicely in a stocking. But an item that would not fit in a stocking is a chambered vacuum sealer. So if somebody in your world is a bird hunter, vacuum sealing 
the the harvest is the best way to preserve the meat to keep it delicious for many years. You vacuum seal birds or any kind of meat, and it will be good. I don't know, Rich. Do you have a vacuum sealer? I do. Uh, not a Walton's one, but I do have one, and it's uh, they're game savers. Yep. Uh, losing losing meat in the freezer to freezer burn and any of that stuff is just. Yeah. It's an awful feeling. It is. I mean, you just don't want to waste any of that hard-earned, precious, delicious meat. So yeah. regardless of which one you would go with, there's different ones. I've been using the chambered vacuum sealer, and it's awesome. Like, I can't even tell you how many deer, ducks, geese, pheasants, quail, I mean, you name it, over the last, I think I've used it now for three years, and it just goes and goes and goes and goes and goes. And the, the, the chambered vacuum sealer... It's more expensive, but it's a long-term purchase. The bags are a lot cheaper to go that route. So something to consider. It's a bigger gift item, but it's a great one. If you get that item for a bird hunter or a hunter in your life, they will be happy on Christmas morning. Another item that I get asked a lot about, uh, or gosh, since I've been producing this television show, is what gloves am I wearing? That's like the number one over the last 10 years, Rich. That's the number one question I've been asked oh, count, countless times you know, over the last decade. Um, and the ones that I've been wearing the last like three years now are the deer skin, the deer leather gloves from Wells Lamont. It's the deer leather versus cow leather. The deer leather is like, as some listener once said, it's soft and supple. <laughs> <laughs> like and, toilet paper? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you can, you know, like you can operate your GPS yeah. remote if you need to, you know, loading, unloading shells, dealing with anything you need to deal with in the field. You have a lot of dexterity still. Are they just the hide or are they insulated? You, there's different options. I have both. If it's real cold, I'll, I'll wear the insulated. But otherwise, I go with just a hide. And it is, um, you know, it's a leather that holds up pretty well, considering all the crap I put them through. But uh, highly recommend the deer skin leather. It is the way to go. I probably would not switch back. Um, and that, yeah, obviously is an idea for a stocking stuffer. Any hunter is going to like that. Here we go. This, this season, the number one question that I have been asked ever since I shared the story about cutting a dog out of the snare um, up in Alberta back in September, the Nipex wire cutters. I've been asked, I don't know how many, too many I times. Asked, I sent you a message. I know, on you and, like, I'm still getting messages. I wouldn't say every day, but multiple times a week from people that have you know tuned into that podcast. And they're all wondering which one to get. So the one that I've gone with is, I think it's like $40. You can just do a search. Most, um, like even Amazon has it. I think it's like $40, but it's fairly lightweight, red handle on it. I don't have the model number as we speak, but if you do a search for Nipex, K-N-I-P-E-X wire cutter, you're going to get a few options. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a big monstrous one, but you've added it to your vest? I did, yep. I have that. Uh, the Nipex, I have a Leatherman or Gerber. Mm -hmm. um, and then just recently I added a uh, length of paracord. Okay. Um, for conibear traps. So Gotcha. You know, I've, I've gone back and forth about posting that video, and I haven't posted the video that I took that day. Yep. Um, just because I'm going to get a lot of feedback in both directions on it. One is going to be why didn't you just take the trap off? Sure. And the other one is going to be like, oh, gosh, that's a great, you know, like it's a good 
video for people to see. This is this can happen. Yeah, you know this can happen. And that dog, the way it, the snare was uh, wrapped around, was not going to die in that exact instance. Sure. I still cut it out because the dog was you know frantically. Um, it would it would have been hard to get it out. I think just because of the way that the dog was you know thrashing around yeah. there for a little bit. Um, so I just I just snip cut. Yeah, we're out. You know. But there's going to be people that are going to go back and forth. Oh, you could have just taken it out and saved the trap. Well, in that very in that very moment, I did what I just felt like I needed to do. Yeah. And now, I, yeah, anybody can yeah. go back and look at it. So I just haven't posted the video because I just don't want to deal with the sure. social media feedback both ways. Well, I yeah, I would have been in the camp of get it out as quickly as possible. And if yeah. snipping it was the quickest way, that's how I would have done it. Yeah. Well, and in, you know, the argument there would have been, I'm not concerned about saving the trap because the trap was not supposed to be on that property to begin with. Yeah. You know, so we could go there, but again, I just don't want to get into the whole social media of that, but the Nipex wire cutters, I'm telling you, it's, it's something that I, everybody that I have hunted with that has seen that video now, they're like, Oh yeah. Yep. That's a must. Because if that dog was wrapped around the neck, you have seconds to get there in time before they can't breathe anymore. And having that in the back of your vest or in a pouch available, it's just like a peace of mind that comes with it. Highly recommend it. Good, good Christmas gift idea to any bird hunter in your in your world. So um, I am breaking in a new pair of Irish Setter Wing Shooter boots right now. I, one of the most stylish boots, I Comfortable. think. Comfortable. I've, I've had them on my feet. I didn't end up going with them, but they are... Stylish and and comfortable. For yeah, sure. yeah. What do you got over there? What are you wearing? Uh, these are Gokies. Gokies. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Do you like them? I do. Uh, I do like them. Not waterproof. So if, if okay. people are looking for boots that are waterproof, don't buy these. But okay. if you're looking for a comfortable, long lasting, stylish yeah. uh, boots for the prairie that yeah. you can wear in dry conditions, uh, excellent boots. Okay. So I think the reason I'm putting a foot up here on the table here <laughs> is because. When I when I put these on, I just like gosh, this is a nice new pair of yeah, boots. Yeah. You know, whatever pair of boots you decide to go with, a bird hunter is going to love a new pair of boots because yep. we wear them out. We, if you put a lot of miles on, it's a nice Christmas gift. Yep. So go into the closet and find out what your wife or your husband or your boyfriend wears, and then just get them a new pair of boots. It's a great idea. Uh, a nice gun case. So I just got in a greeny gun case, yep. and they're sweet gun cases. Yeah. It's just uh, like if you take care of a gun, it will last forever, and then next generation, and yep. the next generation if it's well taken care of. So something else to think about uh, would be a nice gun case. I would recommend, you know, I'm very pleased with the Negrini gun cases. I mean, they're very high-end gun cases. Yeah. But they're all takedown cases. Yeah. Yep. Um, Anything that comes to your mind, Rich, is a, like a, I love this little gadget. Yeah. I take it everywhere. I don't know if it's little, but I'll have, I'm going to have to go big here. Definitely yeah. won't fit in the stocking, but uh, the Upland Gun Company custom guns. Okay. Um, can't say enough good things about them, the people, uh, the product. Sure. Uh, they made a, a gun for me to, to memorialize my first dog, Hunter, mm -hmm. um, with a nice engraving. And I can't think of a better way to uh, – to, to a keep custom his, keep his legacy one of a kind gun. yeah yeah that is a cool cool yeah. gift idea good call on that we're going to talk about hunter here in just a minute but I, before we jump in i i do really just want to a sincere thank you to all the people that reached out to me after last week's episode aired where i told the story about the hook getting stuck in my eye um, i have had a lot of people reach out and 
a lot of prayers and the prayers have been answered. I was at the doctor a couple days ago and it was not easy, but I was able to read all the letters on the eye test that he put me through, which he said, you somehow have 20-20 vision out of my eye. And that is, um, I just showed you the video. Yeah. And it's um, it's so bizarre that something can just happen that quickly, but also just how amazing our bodies are to heal. Uh, just, you know, I've heard other stories from people that uh, had, you know, like a BB hit them in the eye and they thought they would go, they were going to go blind. And I mean, it's just like, you can't prepare for everything. You yeah. know this, Rich. Yeah. I mean, you cannot prepare for everything, but you just want to try and um, be as prepared as possible and think about what can happen out there. Because the reality is accidents happen every day and it can happen in the worst places. So trying to be as prepared as possible. I think we're trying to prepare you with it being very open and upfront with here are some accidents that we've encountered and here's how we've gotten through it. So if, if possible, it may help you down the road. Um, and here's one that just came in from a listener here uh, yesterday. Uh, here it's from uh, John Peasley. Travis, I'm just getting caught up on my Flush podcast. I've loved the show for a long time. The information on gear is always great. One recommendation I have is that you should carry a cone for your dog. My GSP, Marta, got into a barbed wire uh, when we were in remote Montana this fall. She didn't mind, but she had a big flap of skin that needed stitches. The local vet did not have dog cones. So oh, it was a large animal vet. So uh, the local large animal vet did not have dog cones. So although he stitched it up, Marta chewed the stitches out in about five minutes. I ended up traveling to another vet quite a ways away who had cones and all was well. In fact, a hunter camping next to me had his little Brittany get into an even bigger fight with barbed wire, no kidding, well over 100 stitches, and had a similar problem with no cone. Luckily, another buddy had a cone for that dog. Anyway, next time you guys talk about gear, consider recommending bringing a cone for your dog. Love the show. It's been an inspiration for me, and I shot my first Sharpie and Hungarian partridge this fall. I hope I can hunt some chucker out west in January before the end of season. Thank you, John, for that gift or that tip idea. I mean, that's a good one. Yeah, I, I never, I never would have thought of that. But they, you can, you can disassemble them, lay them flat. Yeah, put them under the trunk or put them under the, you know, one of the compartments or something. Sure, I, I have a cone. It's obnoxious. I hate it. Yeah, no, <laughs> nobody likes. Them. Nobody likes it. Not, not the dog, not <laughs> yeah. us. But I guess I've never thought about bringing yeah. it with on the hunt. I mean, that is a very simple little sure. thing to bring. I would have assumed the vets would have had that. Yeah. But here he's a long way from a vet, and he finds a large animal vet who's probably not um, equipped for every scenario, uh, probably dealing with a lot of livestock, Mm -hmm. and also capable of stitching up a dog in an emergency situation. Um, I do bring stitching. Like I, I've sat in the room with my vet while she stitched up Daisy before, and I feel like I could stitch up a dog if needed. So I try to have that gear there. I have a stapler as well. Um, You know, just the kit. We've done podcasts. If you want to go back and listen to uh, some of the podcasts from earlier this season, if you haven't already, I highly recommend doing that. We just kind of run through, like, here are some real-life scenarios that can happen out there, but nobody brought up the cone. Yeah. So 
Good, good call I mean, on that, that one, John. That might even be a place to store it for like permanent. Yeah. Because you're usually not at home when you need a cone. Mm-hmm. Um, and who likes having cones around the house? So. Yeah, I have kind of like Daisy's bin in my garage of all the random stuff yeah. that I don't take with on every single hunt. Um, and the cone is in there, and I've looked at it several times because it doesn't fit nice sure. into anything. So I'm like, I'm going to throw this thing out. And then I've said, nah, I better hold on to it just yep. in case. And uh, knock on wood, she's been ripped and torn apart this year, but no stitches. Nice. Yes. Have you had any stitches this year? Uh, not this year. Uh, I did have to glue his head last year, just okay. super glued it. And then I stitched Hunter a couple times. Yeah. Um, but I have a staple gun, so I probably use that going forward. Let's give you an official introduction. Yeah. Rich Wong, Whisk Me Nord. Where did Whisk the name Whisk Me Nord come from? Uh, everyone asked that question. It's tough for me to change it now, but so uh, when I started that account, it was kind of a, uh, I'm a photographer by trade and I shoot in the studio. Um, and it was an account that I it was just kind of documenting uh, cabin life up north. And so we have a cabin in northern Wisconsin and Whisk is the first four letters of the name Wisconsin yeah. and whisk me Nord. So like take me North kind mm-hmm. of a play on words. Um, most people don't get it, but I like it still. So yeah. I'm staying with it. Um, but it, it took a deep turn into the upland world um, versus just kind of hunt our cabin lifestyle type stuff. So um, it was a, it was a feed to stay motivated to inspired to shoot outside of the studio mm-hmm. um, and do more stuff in the outdoor space. So, well, you've got a great page and a really strong following of people too, but the content you produce on there is just very high end oh, and it's, it. it's beautiful. I mean, the way you capture with video and, and photos, your photography is amazing. So is that what you do full time? Yep. I shoot food for a living. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I get paid to take pictures of food. How do you, where do you do that and who pays you? Uh, I have a studio in Minneapolis. Um, you would probably know my my clients, Caribou Coffee. Yeah, uh, is my biggest one probably right now, and then uh, Cub Foods. Okay, um, used to do a lot with General Mills actually in this building. Uh, they had a studio for many many years, so I used to shoot that here, and then uh, Land Lakes. So some of the big ones here in town. Yeah, good, How it's a get... good town to shoot food. <laughs> How did you get into this? Uh, so I started. Um, I kind of had to fall into it. My undergrad was business and spent about six years in corporate, ended up at Target headquarters for a year as an analyst. And it was just all finance, and, and it just wasn't my my jam. So I actually um, got the blessing of my wife to, to quit. Uh, we, were, we were both um, working downtown, and we, I, we had talked about it, but this day I was just like, this is the day. And she, we were carpooling. She's, I'm like, this is the day I'm going to quit. And she's like, oh, really? <laughs> While driving into the While office. While driving in. I'm like, this is the... This she didn't know this yeah. was coming? Yeah. I'm like, this is two weeks are coming. I'm like, I can't take it anymore. And she gave me her blessing and she supported me through it uh, emotionally and financially. And um, at the time, she was producing the U.S. Pond Hockey Championships. Okay. And she's like, well, you like, you don't have a job. Why don't you shoot it? And I'm like, why well, don't I have a camera? And I'm like, she's like, So you didn't even have a camera and you were camera. Get, you're quitting? I, well, this was like the onset of digital photography. So like the... DSLRs just came on the on the market, and I'm uh-huh. like, she's like, we'll go get one. I'm like, okay. How long ago was this? Oh, 2005 or six, something right. like that. All right. Um, and so I got one, and she set me up with the 
PR company, and they're like, we want you to go out and tell the story of old-time pond hockey. And you, you've, I'm assuming you've seen the tournaments. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so it's just... I dang near host them on yeah, my pond, man. Yeah, it's true. I was out there this morning yeah. checking ice after this heat wave came through, oh, and man. I gave the green light to the kids to get back out there and skate oh, again. nice. Yeah. Just in the mornings, probably. No, it's amazing how, like, this time of the year, yes, it's warm, um, and it has been above freezing for a yeah. couple of days. But if you look at the 10-day forecast, I'm more concerned about the lows right now sure. when it comes to ice. Yeah, it gets and too crispy. Yeah, because as long as it freezes back up again at night, we're good to go. It's the, the 36, 38 degrees. It's only that warm for like an hour, sure, two yeah, hours, like three, you know, and then it's already on the way back down sure. again. So it's amazing. Our pond has a lot of tree cover to the south, which kind of blocks. Yeah. And the kids can pretty much skate all day, even if it's 40 degrees. It's, okay. it's wild. I don't know. Our pond is shallow, and it's, you know, the ducks and geese yeah. in it can stand on one foot in the middle. And so that tells you how much ice sure. is needed to be safe yeah. out there. Yeah. Anyway, enough yeah. about my pond. So uh, U.S. Pond Hockey, they told me to go shoot the, the photos, and I went, and I, I mean, the assignment was simple. Um, and I played hockey growing up, so I, I was out there and just telling the story of old-time pond hockey, uh, delivered files, didn't even have a computer, uh, delivered JPEGs unretouched. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm giving away all my secrets. Yeah. And uh, they're like, oh, these are amazing. Can we get your card? Can we get your business card? I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't have one. And like, well, go grab it. And yeah. I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't actually, I actually have, one. have one at all. And, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, well, I don't, I don't do this. This is like, that back then business cards were still a thing. Yeah. Business, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are physical business cards, people. And, uh, they're like, well, you should. You should do this. And it resonated with me. So I went back to school, uh, went to Minneapolis College of Art and Design, got a post-baccalaureate in photography. And then the um, rest was history. Why food? Uh, so at MCAD, it was a very fine arts-based school. And I felt like I needed more technical uh, experience. So I was a freelance uh, photo assistant at General Mills for many, many years. Um, in their studio, and it, it was a very nurturing, mentoring environment and met some great photographers, and they kind of took me under their wing. I worked hard on my portfolio, and off I went. Hmm. Yeah. When you talked about carpooling down to Target, I had flashbacks. My wife worked in finance down there as well for a few years, so her and I, we would carpool because we lived out where we live now, which is an hour yeah. drive into the city, and so it made sense for us to carpool as well. And I remember when she said, all right, I'm going in. I'm going to give my two weeks as well. Yeah, so it awesome. just brought back all these, <laughs> like I would drop her off and I'd come here. Yep. And then, you know, oh, that's gosh. funny. It's amazing how life takes all these twists and turns. But the, the reason I wanted to bring this up is I can't even tell you how many times people reach out and they're like, how do you get into the outdoor world? Yeah. What do you do? And I always tell people, like, what do you enjoy? What are some strengths of yours? What are some passions? There's so many ways to get into the outdoor world. And a great example of it is you have a full-time job, but on the side, you're working with a lot of yeah. big outdoor brands yeah. in our space, from Federal to and Chief Upland to yep. um, Decked. Uh, I mean, like, I don't know how many you could list off, but there are a lot of brands that you work with that it's probably never been easier to get into the outdoor workspace. Oh, for sure. Today. To reach, to have, make a contact with someone, it's pretty easy. Yeah. yeah. What's the best way uh, to I give mean, away your secrets here? But Yeah, no, I think the the number one thing is to be true to yourself, um, being, being honest about mm -hmm. 
um, you know, what you're doing. Um, I think for me, um, I like to believe that my work speaks for itself. So if, if the work is strong enough, people mm-hmm. are going to reach out to you anyways. You know, um, if, if the people like your, your feed, if they, if they believe in, in what you're trying to portray as a, a hunter or a fisherman or, or, or so on and so forth, um, I think people are going to reach out to you. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, they see it, um, they want to be a part of it and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but it's amazing how, uh, how doors can be opened and to piggyback off of what you just said there, I've said this many times to college kids or high school kids or out just out of school that are they want to be in this world of um, the outdoors because they just love it so much. And if they could make a career out of it, that'd be great. And they talk about designing, you know, like starting up their own social page or YouTube video or whatever. And I just I've I've the advice that I've given people hopefully is good and sound, but it's to just be you yeah. because you could easily try to copy what somebody else has been doing that mm-hmm. is successful, but it's not you. That's yeah. them. Yeah. And if you try that, the viewer can see through it so easily yeah. if it's not really genuinely you. Yep. And that's why those people have succeeded is because that's really who they are. Maybe they're just a big goofball. Yeah. And you can't just try to be a goofball, right. yep. you know, or you can't just be somebody that, you watch, yeah. and, and it just doesn't end up working out that way. Yeah. So, but just following their passion. And following your passion. I, I've noticed that more and more brands are um, wanting to to get to know the person that they're going to work with. So, like, mm-hmm. if, if say, a brand, say I reached out to a brand, uh, more often than not recently, they're going to want to know who I am. They're not going to just want to be like, oh, you have great content. Let's just throw it up there. Yeah. Um, they want to make sure that my values align with theirs and um, they want to make sure that their values line up with mine because if they're posting something that I don't like, mm-hmm. then I might not want to be affiliated with them. Right. Um, so it's getting to know them. It's not just pinging them and being like, hey, can I shoot for you? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's important, you know. If you're looking for an awesome bird hunting adventure, then now is a great time to head to the state of North Dakota. Why? Well, this year, the state of North Dakota has reported that pheasant counts are up 61% from last year. The sharp-tailed grouse numbers are up 116%. And get this, the Hungarian partridge numbers have tied an all-time high that comes in at 200% above last year. I've already hunted in North Dakota this season, and I've seen these bird numbers for myself. Water levels are also up, which means the total number of wetlands are up. 76% above the long-term average. The state's breeding duck index was the 23rd highest on record this year. 39% above the long-term average at 3.4 million. All of these numbers mean that there are more ducks, more geese, pheasants, sharpies, and Hungarian partridge on the landscape. In North Dakota, you can experience an epic waterfall hunter in the peak of the fall migration and have the best upland hunt of your life all in the same day. I know this because I've done it myself. Start planning your world-class hunt in North Dakota at hellond.com. If you're an active outdoorsman or woman on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you need to haul. 
Well, our friends at Aluma Trailers, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa, right here in the good old USA. They have models for all of your hauling needs, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow gear like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. So let's get back to the photography side for a minute. You bring the camera with because it's, is it a creative outlet for you uh, outside of the fact that you bring a camera with to work every single day? Yep. And yeah. um, do you get tired of it ever? Um, I don't necessarily get tired of it. Um, for me, like shooting in the studio is still, it's still creative for me. I still have a lot of fun. There's a lot of challenge for it, but it's, um, it's a controlled environment. So like all, all my food photography is artificial light. It's not natural light. It's not sunlight. It's, it's, there's, there's very few variables. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, clients could ask for a certain type of lighting, um, look and you know, that, could be challenging to try to achieve. Do you have to build a set then for yeah. each product? Yep. So I have sets. I have room for three or four sets in the studio. Um, and they're usually like four by four squares. Um, so you're creating an environment to make it look like a table or, I mean, it's usually a table. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I shoot uh, in the outdoor space, it's, for me, it's, it's challenging because I'm working with sunlight. It's, something that I don't have control over. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's completely in my world, it's completely different and it's probably opposite where people would probably be, um, more challenged to work in a studio with artificial lights. And that would make, be my challenge. And make it look, it would look terrible probably yeah. <laughs> if I had to use yeah. artificial lights. Cause yeah. I'm so used to the outdoor space. Yeah. yeah. You saw our green screen room back here. Yep. Like, we just don't use it the way that we probably could or should sure. um, because we're always outside. Yeah. Like 99% of the time we're yeah. filming outside. Yeah. Or it might just be like in a cabin setting mm -hmm. or something like that. And then we do set up lights, which fortunately I'm not the one responsible for making <laughs> it look the way it's supposed to, which is yeah. a, a good thing. But I do have the same creative juices, not to your skill level. I just love photography. Yeah. Prior to... Uh, doing what I'm doing now, 
I did wedding photography. I did product photography for other companies. I did family photography. Everything was outside, though. Yeah. That's where I just stayed in sure. my lane over there. Yeah. And I just found that it was just a really fun, creative outlet for me. And then um, I just ran out of time. Yeah. You know, with all the kids now and yep. just life. It's hard to do that and bring the camera with it. And then, of course, these iPhones are just ridiculous. They're, they They're are amazing. so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. So then I find myself just taking a picture with this and looking at it and saying, yeah, that'll do. You yep. know, and yep. um, I just don't think that I do a great job of keeping my social page updated with things because... You're a busy guy, though. Well, we all are, though. Yeah. I think we all are. Um, I just can only really put my energy in so many places. Sure. And so therefore my social pages lack and that's just the way it is right now. Yep. And that's okay. Um, because I struggle sometimes with the whole social media, just, you know, being a part of my hunting experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to share it. I want to inspire people, um, with the family side of things. I, I struggle sometimes because I don't ever remember my dad or grandpa or sure. uncles pulling out of a camera yeah. in the middle of everything that we were doing yeah. out there and recording it. No. You know, and I'm trying to be present in yeah. the moment with my kids or with whoever I'm hunting with. And I find that all of a sudden I take this out and it's just like, it just kills the moment sure. sometimes. Yeah. And I do take photos and video that I love and I'm glad that I have them, but I struggle knowing where's, where's the balance there. How yeah. do you figure out what balance works for you? You know, uh, what you just said, like resonates with me and my wife for years always used to be like, can you bring your camera? Like if we're going to a sporting event or if we're going to church, um, they're just like, can you, can you shoot, can you take a picture of the family? And I'm like, mm -hmm. I can, but like, I would, I would much rather enjoy the experience. You want to be present. And be, yeah. And be present. And like, like for me, like my mind, and, and I don't know if I have a photo photographic memory or not, but like, I would rather capture that moment in my brain than on film. And that sounds weird because like my job is but when I'm with my family and oftentimes even when I'm hunting, like I, I rarely carry it in the field. Most of my, most of my work is done at the tailgate. Um, and so in like what you just said, like I would much rather leave the camera in, in certain situations mm -hmm. and just, live in the moment. Yeah. It, and it's a, it's a real question that I think we, we really should think about when yeah. we're taking people out hunting mm -hmm. and, or fishing or in the outdoor space. And we talk about bringing kids along and our kids, you know, what, what's that balance? Yeah. And honestly, I hope and pray that our kids grow up to despise these cameras that we carry around <laughs> yeah. and, you know, like leave yeah. them back. Like, Hey, I don't want to bring a camera with yeah. today. I don't want to bring a phone. Sure. I just want some peace and quiet. Just you dad. Yeah. yeah. Just, Oh gosh. Yeah. That's just that right there. Um, I, I mentioned again at, at the top, just how appreciative I, I have been for the feedback and people caring about how uh, my eyes healed. And I truly mean that uh, we're, we're coming up here on, Christmas and a time to hopefully spend with loved ones. And I, I really hope that everybody listening finds a way to have a peaceful and joy filled Christmas and holiday season this year. 
And there's just, regardless of whatever is going on in your life, there's a lot to be thankful for. So I hope that you're able to find that. And there's a lot of good hunting season left. Yeah. Even though we're counting down the days here in Minnesota, we have less than 15 left. If you love pheasant and grouse hunting, which you don't have to go too far to cross the border and get into more uh, bird hunting opportunities. But uh, my ice fishing trip with my family up north to camp out on Red Lake has now officially been canceled. We we had five families that we were all going to go up there over uh, between Christmas and New Year's, which now doesn't bode well for the birds. That's yeah. all I'm going to say. <laughs> because there's going to be a lot of hunting in the week that I have taken off here from, from work. But a, a Merry Christmas to everybody here before we dig deeper into uh, Rich's bird hunt but um yeah let's just let's just get into some things that you've experienced you just got back from north dakota yep and you sent me a message about the birds up there in trigger what happened yeah so we were up there with uh with my father-in-law and his brother um and these guys are born and bred north dakota so they're if they fly if it flies it dies kind of style and Mm. um we hunted uh, spots that Uncle Arnie had, and they're all cattails. And as you know, like cattails are tough for pointers, um, but that's where they are. Like that's the that's the. There's no way around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're hunting an area like we were, um, you're going to be hunting cattails this time of year. So, um, trigger uh, could find birds. Uh, he was tracking a lot of birds through those cattails. Um, he didn't bump a lot of birds, but he lost a lot of his steadiness. Once that bird was up, he was, uh, he was chasing and, um, he had a couple points where he stood, um, until the shot, but after the shot, he was, he was gone. He's supposed to be mm-hmm. steady to wing shot and fall. So, and, and you've worked so tirelessly. We've worked hard them. on it. Yeah. Um, he's had, um, some great, some great parts of his season. He, he's had some some tougher times with certain things. Um, but it's, it's something that I'm not worried about. Like, I think we'll get back to it. I was going to head out, um, this morning to work with pigeons, but you Mm -hmm. called. So, uh, I figured the podcast was a little more important. Oh, well, I don't know about that, but I sure appreciate (laughs) you. We have time. time. I mean, we're, we're coming up at the end Mm -hmm. of December and I'll have, um, plenty of time to get it back. And my goal, uh, for this spring is to get them certified for woodcock banding. So, Oh, nice. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, we haven't mentioned how old is Trigger? What breed is he? Yep. Trigger is a two-year-old Vizsla. Yeah. Um, we got him, uh, actually the day after Christmas, two years ago. Wow. So he was kind of a Christmas puppy. Gotcha. Yeah. So you're coming up on a little bit of an anniversary here. In yep. A couple days. Gotcha day. Yep. Gotcha day. And did you get him out of the same line of, of Vislas that Hunter came from? He came out of similar lines. So uh, Rebel Rouser ET is kind of like the granddad of Vislas. Um, and so they both, uh, Hunter and him have the same, I think it was great, great, great grandfather, hmm. Rebel Gotcha. Rouser. Why Vizsla? You know, back in, well, it would have been 16, 17 years now, they were kind of on the verge of, they were pretty rare, actually, back then. Um, And so Hunter was a dog that I was like, I want a pointer. I want something that not everyone has. Um, So I went with a Vishla, and they just just stuck. They're just sweet dogs. 
Um, they do have a lot of energy, but um, super loyal, super smart. Comparative to uh, maybe a GSP and how they hunt? Yeah, I think they're very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Yep. They do, um, they do tend to range a little bit closer. Um, so I've been working with trigger on that one. Do you want him to go further? Yeah. I mean, at at this point, like he's two, so like, Mm -hmm. he's probably not going to go further than he does, but he he goes way further than Hunter ever did. What is his distance? He'll go about 250. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. And that's, it's funny because like, (laughs) I think about Daisy, Yeah. you know, and I had to bring her back in a mile. uh, I had to bring her under a thousand, like, come on. I'm yeah. sure there's birds over there. That's fine. But <laughs> yeah. like, there's some here too, you yeah, know? Yeah, we got to do this together. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's it's fun how, you know, like the journey of the bird dog kind of changes there. But, yeah. Um, Hunter had a heck of a story yeah. and it's been well documented. You've been on a lot of other podcasts yep. and, and shared the story and there's been a film on him as mm-hmm. well. But for somebody that maybe hasn't listened to any of your podcasts, yeah. the other shows, or watched that that film. Can you share briefly Hunter's story? Yep. So, uh, when he was, uh, I think about 12 years old, uh, had it been January, he started kind of this limp, which wasn't out of the ordinary for him, like, or any hunting dog, you know, morning they might come up a little lame. Mm -hmm. Um, but it never really fixed. It never really healed up. And you could see it's very, like as your owner, like you, you're very in tune to what your dog his health's like. And so I could tell like he was still limping. People were like, he's not limping. I'm like, yeah, he's favoring that shoulder. I can see it. And so I kind of put it off a little bit. And then, um, one day went in and, um, they ran a bunch of tests for limes and anaplasmosis and, um, everything came back negative. So, um, the doctor was a little concerned about, um, osteoporosis, osteo, I see what's the cancer, the bone cancer, bone cancer. Let's just call it that. Okay. Um, and so he did some, he did some x-rays, um, check the lungs x-rays. Cause that's usually the first thing where cancer will go after you get bone cancer. Um, his lungs were clean and, um, he, he noticed some weird growths on his bone and his left front and, but it, it didn't, look like osteos osteosarcoma okay that's the that's the word not we're not we're not uh doctors we're not, clearly we're not doctors <laughs> yeah. Yeah. and so um he wanted to do a little more uh he wanted to look into it more so he actually did a bone biopsy um and, and ended up being um a soft tissue sarcoma hmm. and so the recommended route at that point and, and hunter was still fairly he was extremely healthy outside of the cancer, um, and his soft tissue. So, um, it was a hard, it was a hard, I mean, it was not cheap. Um, you know, he was 12 years old, so, you know, you were getting up there in age. Mm -hmm. Um, but we prayed about it. Um, the kids, uh, it was an interesting thing to see out of the boys. They were, they were younger. Uh, so they probably would have been, Oh, six and eight. Um, and we asked them what we should do. And they're cool. We should pray about it. I'm like, well, let's do it. So, the, so I got to see their faith kind of blossom and the, and that childlike faith knowing yeah. that like, he's going to be fine. He's going to be taken care of. Um, and 
we decided to do it. Um, their, their, their original, I mean, their immediate, cause they, they have no concept of money yeah. or, or, uh, anything passing away at that point. So like when you ask kids of that age, like, what should we do? Should we amputate his leg or should we just let him be and maybe medicate him? They're like, well, why wouldn't we? So yeah. like, okay, let's do it. Um, and just, like I said, to see their, their prayer life, like flip right there, it was pretty cool to, 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 to go from kind of pocketed prayers to like specifically praying for something. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool to see that. Oh, that's so cool. And the kids do yeah. that. Yeah. And so, um, so you're moved now to we're we're going to do this. Yeah, we're going to do this. So we, um, he had the surgery actually right, like during the lockdown of the pandemic, which was kind of good timing because we were all home and we could be with him. Mm -hmm. Um, so he got amputated, um, Everything went well, except for he got a pretty bad um, uh, infection. So they had to open him up, put a drain in, close him back up. And then, um, I mean, my biggest concern was like, is he going to be a hunt this season? Like, yeah. I was asking his doctor, he's like, I think, he, I think he'll be fine. Um, and so I was like, okay, like, let's, let's do this. And then uh, two weeks after they cleaned out the infection, we were up at the cabin for um, the weekend and we, this was April, May, April, May timing. Um, so nothing was open. Um, Woodcock were probably around, but I wasn't even thinking about that. And we, I, he went on a, at the, at the, at the blessing of my vet, he went on a two mile hike and he was completely fine. Um, and he just continued to progress from there. And then we had a, a pretty inspiring, uh, hunt, uh, first weekend of, uh, grouse and woodcock, um, that first bird, man, my, my, uh, youngest or my old, yeah, my youngest boy was with me and man, we were celebrating oh. that first bird. I got goosebumps. Right yeah. Now. What yeah, was it, it was like cool. when did he point it? He pointed it. Yeah. It was a woodcock. Um, I went to a spot where I knew they, you know, you have your spots mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and he had a couple and I missed a couple and I was kind of down on myself and actually the weekend before we were hunting grouse and he pointed <laughs> so I had the whole family with that day and he pointed a bird he pointed okay so let me take a step back we were in this cut and all four of us were just like everyone was wet and there's mosquitoes <laughs> and the kids were having a hard time and my wife was like why do you even like to do this <laughs> And so, isn't this the best, guys? Yeah, isn't this the best? <laughs> and so my glasses are foggy. Like, I can't see anything. We get up. I, I take the family back out to the trail because we were bushwhacking. And um, Hunter goes number two, like, right right by the trail. <laughs> and I take my glasses off because I figure, like, nothing's going to happen here. And I'm drying them. And as soon as he's done going potty, he, he immediately steps into a point. And I'm, like, thinking, no. Like, it can't be anything here. And I'm literally clean my glasses and everyone's like dad he's on point he's on point i'm like i know i know but like i can't shoot anything anyways my gun's open i my glasses off and sure enough two birds fly oh two grouse fly over the trail oh. right here trail birds yeah oh. and i just i couldn't even oh. i couldn't even couldn't even close my gun it was awful um but yeah he was uh he was a special special dog um, How many years did he hunt on three legs? He hunted for two more years uh, that season, and then and then the season uh, after that. And his uh, he had a couple hunts after 
I took him to Montana his last year. So he, he hunted, that was beginning of October in Montana and he passed away. We let him go in mid November. Um, but his last big hunt in Montana, I asked him for, I literally asked him for half an hour for on pheasant opener. So we hunted, we used to hunt a lot of pheasants and, uh, we went out and um, we were done by 8.30, three in the bag. And I, I put him back up and that was it. He, he had a couple other small woodcock hunts after that, but it was pretty cool. Hmm. What a special dog. And yeah. you've documented his life really well and celebrated him. And yeah. I've met, I'm betting you've heard from countless people about their I have, dog stories. I have. Uh, I've had a lot of people um, still talk to a lot of people. You know, he's. I've said this before in other podcasts, he's not, he's not the first dog to hunt on three legs. Mm-hmm. There are thousands of dogs that, that, have do, that do it and do it well. And I would never hesitate to amputate a dog's leg if it needed to be done because – they can do it. Yeah. Um, we just had a golden in here last week. There, we have, I think, four goldens in our staff. But uh, a friend came in and brought, because we're like, yeah, bring your dog. That's yeah. cool. And dog was on three legs. Yeah. And rolling around, running with the others. You would never would know. never know. Yeah. It's amazing how yeah. skilled they are. Yeah, they teach, us, they teach us a lot. The, the thing with uh, Hunter that I, in, in my mind, like, they, like, why dogs are better than humans for, <laughs> yeah. for one reason <laughs> yeah. is that they don't, they don't like, you know, he went in, he got his leg amputated and he came home and he was just like, okay. And this is, this is what happens. Like, I don't, he, he doesn't never have, felt sorry for he himself. never felt sorry for himself. He didn't have a, a buddy to be like, dude, I have to lose my leg. He just, he went in, he came out and he's like, okay, this is, this is how it is now. Mm-hmm. And he just went on as just as he did. So if you look back, I mean, your kids are praying for this and you guys made a decision as a family. I have to believe there was a moment somewhere along the line where you look back and you're like, this is how our prayers were answered. Oh, yeah. What was it? Um, I think for me, like the, the biggest, even how amazing, how, how amazing it was, how Hunter overcame everything and, and hunted for us. It was seeing my boys have that faith. Like that was like for me, mm-hmm. um, the biggest win. You know what I mean? And it sucks that it, it had to happen for Hunter, where he he had cancer and lost a leg. Um, but the answer to prayer was seeing my kids uh, work through things through prayer. Yeah. So, and they're out there now in the field with you. And you, yep. you and your family have outdoor time together as well. I mean, that's a big part of yep. my world. Mm-hmm. It, it's such a big part. There's so much from this hunting season that I, I could do probably three podcasts on it yeah. if I wanted to. Just our own personal yeah. time and with my with the my one boys. with your son was amazing. Oh my goodness! <laughs> thank you for that. It was. I struggled with the whole trip being a. TV producer and having to work through all that sure. and then being a father in that experience with him too. And I've watched now some of the video that we recorded together mm-hmm. and it's me looking at me yeah, and my son, mm-hmm. you know, from somebody else's eyes. Sure. So it's a, like I choked up instantly because here's this little boy walking with his gun and his orange vest and 
like I prayed for this when I before I was married and kids that I would want to have a family and yeah. and to be able to share this and to teach my kids and now I'm doing it yeah. you know and yeah. so I I just I just pray that it inspires others to to bring their kids out and yeah. I know that it has because a lot of you listening right now people listening have reached out and inspired me to keep doing more of it mm-hmm. because it's it's changed their family dynamic and yeah. them bringing kids out and i'm just so grateful for it but the times that we've spent together out there in the field have been so sweet oh it's the so best. rich yeah and it's just been by far the highlight of my hunting season and i could show you pictures and you know it's funny when you start talking to people you know, they're just like oh i want to show you this one and this one and you get caught up in it and we could talk for days on it um and just really grateful for that but Let's get back to Trigger because you've learned a lot from that dog this year, and yeah. he's learned a lot from you. Yep. And you guys have hunted Montana. Have you did you hunt Montana? We again? did Montana again. So yeah, you, you hunted Montana, Montana North, North Dakota. Dakota twice, um, Iowa, Minnesota, Wisconsin. Okay. Yeah. Um, highlight of your season this year? Um, I mean, our Montana trip was pretty epic. Yeah. Um, that just, I mean, even even outside of birds, just the state itself mm-hmm. coming from flatland uh to to montana is pretty special it is and you know every time i go west i just have a harder time coming back <laughs> east. like i just love it yeah. out there so much yeah did you, buy, wa- did you buy that place in stanley <laughs> you're talking <laughs> not about yet. not yet it's still actually <laughs> okay. for sale so All we're right. waiting for interest rates to come down <laughs> but i seriously just struggle yeah to come back yeah. into and and i there's so much to love here I love grou- rough grouse hunting and yep. woodcock hunting. So fortunately, we have that. And the yep. pheasant hunting has been pretty dang good, pheasant too. Pheasant hunting's been good, yeah. And I just, I love the wide open spaces. Yeah. I just, there's something about it. Yeah. And having dogs that just thrive in that kind of yeah. environment. Yeah, being able to see them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I mean, you were out there in the cattails last week, yeah. and, and you're dealing with, you know, a bird-drunk dog. Yeah. And it's you're not the only one, not even close. I got a message last night even here, if I can pull it up real quick. The flush. So fast, it hardly seems real. So vivid, the moment freezes in time before erupting in a blur of spurs and feathers. It's why we changed the way upland loads are built with Prairie Storm. Exclusive flight control flex wad technology and a mix of copper plated lead and flight stopper pellets combine to create dense, deadly shot strings through any choke. Longer shots, more power, fewer missed birds. Only from Federal. Now is a great time to make the most of all that tasty meat you harvested. Maybe it's time to try a new recipe, sprinkle on a new seasoning, or make your own jerky and sausage. Trust me, it's not that hard to do, and it can be fun for the whole family. It doesn't matter what you harvested or what you want to prepare with it. Walton's has you covered. Walton's has everything but the meat. That's their motto. Waltons.com has everything, and I mean everything you need to process and prepare your meat. Plus, they have an online community called Meatgistics that's full of recipes and meat processing information. The sky's the limit, my friends. You don't have to be a pro to cook like one. Head to Waltons.com today and enjoy meat processing season. Thankfully, it's a season that never ends. A healthy dog is a happy dog, and a dog's optimal health ultimately starts with an optimal diet. That's why I trust Nutrisource Performance Dog Food to keep Daisy healthy 
and running to her full potential. Nutrisource now has a full circle feeding plan that can help your dog achieve their full potential too. The full circle feeding plan revolves around their entire lineup of Nutrisource dog foods that contain their good for life system. The Nutrisource good for life system is packed with probiotics, prebiotics, and proprietary minerals that work together to support your dog's heart health and gut health. By combining this system and all of their dry foods and wet foods, you can rotate carbs and proteins like chicken, beef, fish, and lamb to meet and exceed your dog's needs and accelerate their natural desire to eat. Plus, their toppers like kombucha add even more health benefits for our dogs. Learn more about Nutrisource dog foods and the benefits of their full circle feeding plans at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. Um, it was funny because it was somebody talking about how, like, how do you get, what do you do when your dog, um, here we go. Uh, let's see here. Just got back from a solo hunt in South Dakota. How does your pointer deal with cattails? Obviously, it's pretty hard to point in cattails. That was the question that I yeah. got last night. Um, yeah, I don't know what the scent, like I don't know the science behind scent in the cattails, but I got to imagine when there's a lot of birds down there, mm-hmm. it's hard to track one bird. Yeah. And then... And I sometimes wonder how, um, what that dog is going through because I think when Daisy's working a bird, she's oblivious to the others. Yeah. And it's like she's just following it and going. Yep. And I've seen where she's bumping birds, and she has no idea. She doesn't. She can't hear them. She can't hear yep. them. She can't, you know, maybe depending on the wind direction, she can't yep. see them. Mm-hmm. We know that because, you know, she's underneath all that stuff. Yeah. And so I think as with a pointing breed dog, you, that's one of the challenges that you have to try to figure out how yeah. to overcome. Yeah. So let me use this. Uh, um, I'll tell you this story, and maybe this will help in a way. I dropped my boy off at hockey practice on a Sunday, like three Sundays ago. And I had an hour between when I had to pick him back up. And I'm like, I'm going to go take the dog for a run because yeah. she hasn't been out in a few days and I need to get out and get some fresh air. So we go to this this uh, WPA and it's near the Twin Cities. Obviously, it's yeah. not far away. I don't have time to drive west and get away from people. So I'm certain this spot's been hunted yeah. already yeah. 10 times that weekend and all season long. But I thought... Whatever. If I can get a bird, great. If not, that's okay. I've never hunted the spot in my life. Mm-hmm. We start going, and you know, there's cattail patches in the middle of you know the rolling hills and yeah. grass, and I just was glad to be there. Thirty to forty mile an hour northwest yeah. winds were just barreling down, <laughs> and I didn't care. I just I had the the fresh air, and I was loving it. And we were gonna work to this far end of it because I thought maybe somebody might be lazy, but um, there's these patches, and all of a sudden Daisy's I don't know two hundred yards from me. And she goes on point, and I was like, guarantee that bird's running. Yeah. But I looked at where she was at, and there were some cattails and a strip of willows and then more cattails and then a strip of willows and more cattails. And I thought, let's see how long she holds this. I'm going to start working a big loop around her. And it was just her and I, and I'm like, I'm going to go 300 yards upwind of her and see if this bird does what I think it might do, which is run. Yeah. No snow. Um, So anyway, all of a sudden I looked down – 30 seconds later, she's moving again. I was like, ah, I kind of thought so. Bzz. She's back on point. And she's moving this direction. I'm yeah. like, yeah, I'm totally going to do this and see if it Cut can. it off. Yes, I cut yeah. the bird off. So I went 300 yards up from her initial point, 400 yards maybe, and then I worked in towards her. She re- repointed that bird five times. Yeah. And the fifth time, she's not moving. Now I'm 100 and. 
48 yards from her on now that you gotta, fifth time. Now you got to move. <laughs> and now I'm moving in. And I was thinking, at some point, something's going to give here. I walk in on that bird in cattails, and I definitely came from a direction that most hunters probably aren't going to because the way you normally work it from yeah. the, the parking, parking lot area. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So now she's pushing this bird, and she's working it. She holds this point for three minutes by the time I work my way through the cattails and get over to it. And I walk up to her and she's staring at the ground. And I'm like, there's one right there. I'm like, this has to be a hen. I walk in and I kick the grass so close to her face. I felt bad that I was going to like kick her (laughs) almost. And here comes this big old mature rooster up out of the grass. And I shoot it. She grabs it, brings it back. And we walked back to the truck and went and picked up my son. And I was just like thinking back in my mind how this thing played out. That rooster has probably outsmarted a couple hundred dogs this hunting season. And I almost felt bad because, like, I don't know how many are left on that little <laughs> tiny WPA yeah. next to town. And but it was that is one of those birds that I'm going to cherish from oh, this yeah. season because you'll remember her and I the way we worked through that. Two things that stood out to me: one, I gave her an opportunity to pin that bird and give it some reason to stop. Two, it had just gotten cold enough where I could walk into those cattails in the water where I think that bird has ran into that spot. Dozens of times outsmarting yeah. hunters that couldn't get there because they didn't want to get wet. Yep. Now I could walk on top, and I'm the first person that has come from that's the water sure. side, and he didn't know what to do. Yeah. So we're just we're just working as a team there, and I, this doesn't necessarily answer this this uh, listener's question, but in a way it kind of does. Like you have to think about ways to outsmart these mm-hmm. birds, thinking. Each hunt is its own kind of adventure. And when you get in those kind of cattails like that, if you can pinch them, yep. now you're just, it's a, you know, one out of 10, one out of 20 yeah. type of game. Yeah. And depending on like where you were in North Dakota, it's yeah. probably one out of every hundred, Yeah, you know, but you just take the ones you're given yeah. in those kind of places because a pointer in cattails, man, that's, it's not like flushers coming mm-hmm. in, just lighting them up and getting every bird out of there. Yep. It's a different kind of a hunt. Totally different hunt. Yep. Do you have any uh, wisdom that you've taken out of the cattails in the last oh, week? Oh, man, no. No? <laughs> like, how do you? How did you end up working through that with Trigger up there? Because I know you texted me, and you're like, dude, Trigger is, you know, the, there's just too much. Yeah. Um, honestly, a lot of those birds that we got, I mean, we got a couple under his, under point under, with good, good dog work, but a lot of them... Um, Last week were wild flushes. We were hunting with a lab, which I know you're familiar with hunting yeah. with other dogs yeah. and non-pointing dogs. Um, so it was kind of a uh, – it was hard to reinforce uh, what we've been working on mm-hmm. in the field, and I kind of just let them hunt, and we'll get back to it. Yeah, um, I did um, kind of talking back to what we were talking about hunting out further west. Uh, we, we did try a spot that I had had – some success on sharptail and huns in the past, mm-hmm. just wide open country and, and um, but it was flat. Um, and I never hunted sharpies that late, so I just wanted. I was just more than anything just curious to see um, what it would be like this time of year. Mm-hmm. Um, there were no huns or sharpies at all. Really, I'm like, I think the timing of it was tough because you know they're eating grain now. Yep, and we went at like 10 a.m. So my guess is they're out in the fields. Um, but we did he did have a nice good dog work on a rooster out in those flats. But um, the big piece for me was I just wanted to see him work, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? There's something about watching the dog. Yeah. And that's the thing about cattails where 
it's tough sometimes. You just have to accept that that's where the birds go yeah. and you have to do it, but you are limited. And like we, Daisy and I went out the other day here and we went into cattails and she was, she was after this bird and she was following it and like 16 hens got up mm -hmm. to her side and she didn't know what was going yeah. on, you know, and that's because she was working this one. Yeah. And I, you know, I struggle sometimes with, do you shoot a bird that gets up that she's not, you know, yep. handling the way that you trained her to handle yep. But in the cattails, she might not even know that bird exists right. or that that one got bumped. Yep. I mean, there's some of them where she's like, she's trained stop to flush. Yeah. You know, so sometimes a bird will flush and then she'll see it and then she'll stop and yep. be like, all right, good job. But she didn't even know it was there yeah. or um, it'll get up way ahead of her and she doesn't even know that it's gone, yeah. but she's still following it. So yeah. it's interesting. A lot of pointers, dog handlers that have pointers will say, Pheasants will ruin a good point. Yeah. You know, and the reality is, is we're hunting them. So. We're hunting them. Yeah. Exactly. So I think you just have to have a little grace for the dog sometimes mm -hmm. in those tough situations. I wanted it to be perfect all the time. All the training is like, I'm not shooting this bird, you know, but now that she's a three-year-old dog and I've shot, I don't know how many birds over her now over the last three years. Yeah. She's solid. Like there are mistakes that happen, but hey, I miss a couple shots here sure. and there too. And so if the bird gets up that she didn't even know existed, I'm not going to be disappointed in her. She gets the majority of them. Yeah. Um, I still, I guess, the question is, you know, and you know this, never shoot a, a bird that a pointer flushes, right? Yeah. Yep. When they're a puppy. You know, at what point do you say the hunt, you know, yeah. with other people and does she even know it flush? Right. Like, when is that bird now fair game again? Man, I don't know. It's. I think a lot of people struggle with that. Mm -hmm. um, the, these last, so the last two hunts I were on were Iowa and um, North Dakota. And the hunt in Iowa, we had a couple very South Dakota style, getting orange army getting a line, mm -hmm. um, folks that I hadn't met before and. It was a, it was a circus, <laughs> to be honest. It was safe. Yeah. Everything was safe. Everyone yeah. hunted safe. But a um, lot of guys and a lot of dogs. A lot of guys, a lot of dogs, flushers, pointers, uh, a lot of birds. And again, like just trying to reinforce my rules uh, for my dog mm -hmm. is just too hard. And so, so do you regret bringing Trigger out there then? I don't. Um, I, I, he's smart enough to know, like he knows what he's supposed to be doing. Um, I think he was just so excited. Like, I'm free. Let, let's go. Yeah, right, right. <laughs> well, and the thing is, like, I'm constantly able to communicate with my dog with the remote. Yeah. You know, and yeah. a lot of people don't wrap their head around that. Sure. You know, and they're like, why is your dog standing there? I was like, well, yeah, I stopped yeah. her. Yeah. Why'd you stop her? Well, because this dog over here is birdie right now, and I want this dog to be able yeah. to handle the situation. She's fine over there. She'll just stand and watch us from 300 yards on that hillside. Yep. She's not an, affecting anything that's about to happen here. Mm -hmm. And they're like, well, how can you stop that dog? And I'm like, because I've trained her. And yeah. it's just a very subtle little, you know, uh, constant pressure yep. on the, the lowest setting. But she knows, oh, I'm going to stop. Yep. I'll bring her back into this hunt in a minute. Don't yep. worry about it. But she's just going to wait there. And for a lot of people, that's just like blows their mind yeah. because they're just so used to like, whoa, whoa, yeah. Nelly, stop yeah. here, get over it. You know, like all the yelling and stuff. Yeah. I don't want any part of that yelling I, yeah, if I, I can help either. it. Yeah. And there's times where I'll use verbal commands and that's when she doesn't know where I'm at. When you're grouse hunting in the woods. You have to. Yeah. You know, because like 
she didn't know that I took a 180 or yeah. the trail turn yeah. or whatever. The the swamp edge is usually what I'm on, you know, yeah. at edge of forest. And I use the tone to turn them. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, so where did you learn your, or what your training with your dog? Where did that, um, oh my gosh, we're already at an hour already, Rich. We can keep going. Okay. We, we got a little bit of I'll, time, but not too much longer. I'll text our next meeting. Okay. But anyway, um, where, which, which training style did you go with and why? Uh, so it's a little mix of everything. Like my, for sure, I'm, I'm an amateur trainer, but if I had a philosophy, um, just from my experience with obedience dog training, like dogs are going to learn in many different ways. So I don't necessarily prescribe to one method. Um, but I've picked some of the big, you know, Hunt Smith, mm-hmm. um, Sonic Command, um, Standing Stone, um, I did do, uh, Hunter went to, uh, Willow Creek Kennels okay. in Little Falls. Um, so Chad Hines helped me with some of his stuff. And then, um, I did some hold conditioning, which was dog bone. Um, so I've kind of a la carte, um, because I believe that dogs just like kids aren't going to learn everything the same way that all the other kids are going to learn things. Um, so I know my dog best and I'm trying to train him in the, the ways that I think he's going to mm-hmm. learn the quickest or the, or the best. Anything stand out to you? Big takeaway now training multiple dogs and doing yep. it yourself. Yep. Uh, shut your mouth. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard. Yeah. That's hard. Oh, to it's do. so hard. Um, shut your mouth. Uh, I like to film myself training cause it's, eye-opening um you're like okay if your dog's not responding to something it's probably my fault film yourself like do you keep a gopro on your head yeah gopro or or my iphone um and it's all a lot of it is just timing and and me not like a lot of it is timing but also Mm -hmm. like like i said before keep your mouth shut um let the dog learn let the birds teach the dog um, but then also free shaping where you're wanting the dog to, to demonstrate the behavior um, and then rewarding that behavior. What if you have a puppy that just wants to blow through those birds out there? Oh, what man. would you do? I haven't had one yet. Good for you. Yeah. Wow. Well, I have. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> it, let me tell you, it can it can take this fun passion of ours oh, and make yeah. it miserable I'm really sure. quickly because it's so frustrating. Yeah. But it's a it's a reality for a lot of big running pointing breed dogs yeah. that obviously if the bird gets up 326 yards away, it does nobody any good and, yeah. and they have to work through that. But man, it's, it, I think my advice is just stick with it. Yeah. Trust the process yeah. and know that, Hey, this short term pain that you're feeling out there in the field is going to be a long term gain by yeah just keeping your dog out there on those wild birds. Yep. And when that learning opportunity comes, when a bird holds and the dog just instinctively stops yeah. and you flush it and shoot it, it's just like that green light, click. the yep. click, you know, yeah. and the, all these little pictures that they're taking and storing in their brain for future use. Yeah. I mean, they get to this point where everything clicks and you're just like, holy crap. And, you know, early on, I really do believe it's so valuable to not shoot a bird that your dog flushes yep. if you have a pointer. I mean, it's so valuable 
to you're reinforcing bad behavior by doing that. Mm. And now as a dog gets older and they know better accidents happen, a bird might get bumped from them or somebody else. And, you know, if you feel like taking a shot later in life with that dog, that I think is different yep. than that really early on stages in life. Sure. So I'm helping some buddies that are going through those struggles right now with their dogs. And they've done a good job of just like, Hey, not pulling the trigger and letting the dog just blow them up again and again. And I'm like, just keep it at, keep yeah. at it. It does change. It will get better. The definition of an insanity. It is, but it doesn't last forever out there. So you're, you know, to shut your mouth, that, that piece of advice is important, but you also have to do something. What are, you, what are you doing when you're working with your dog out there in the field? And you two are a team. Yeah. And you're trying to accomplish something with your dog. When, when do you call it a win or say this, is, this worked? Is there any way to really tangibly say that was a success? Um, I mean, when he does, when he is translating what we do in training into the field for me, uh, is a big success. So like for me, when, when we went to Montana, like my biggest goal was like for him to get into a bird, to stand, to stand through the flush, to stand through the shot, to stand through the fall. And he did it on his first bird. Um, and it was a sharp tail single. And so like, for me, that was like, Oh, this is a big win because he did everything I've ever asked him to do yeah. in his first bird out West on his first bird of the season. And then you must have just been fist pumping. I was excited. Yeah, I was super excited. Um, but it got progressively harder because I think he learned that we were hunting with people, hunting with more dogs, and he saw those dogs that didn't have the same standards as I was holding trigger to. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was kind of like 50%. And so after that trip, we went back to the training yard, sure. to the yard. Um, reinforce the rules and he was good again through a lot of woodcock and grouse. Um, and again, I mean, woodcock are pretty, uh, dogs are going to be pretty yep. easy on those. But, um, but then I saw the same regression in Iowa. Um, so you go back to the basics, go back to the basics. And I actually, uh, um, hunted him without, I, I let him, I was handling him without a gun. And so I could see the same progression of him getting better. And the last day we were there, it was great. And then North Dakota, I kind of just let him do it. <laughs> I was just like, you know, we're at the end of the season. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's not, maybe not, I wouldn't prescribe this as the best way to method to do it. But when you're hunting with some old timers and some, you know, people that probably aren't going to appreciate you trying to work with your dog in the field, I was just, you know, he wasn't doing anything awful. Like he wasn't bumping birds. He was uh, not standing. Which a lot of people would say they want a dog that is right. You know, yeah. in those situations, yeah. and, 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 my, the and my and my father was asking me, like, well, why wouldn't you want him on these roosters immediately? I'm like, mm-hmm. well, I, I kind of do, but I'm <laughs> kind of trying to. I know. It's, it's, that, it's that balance. You're like, right. oh, this is like a, a, the scenario that we're doing hunting right now. I do want him to go get that bird, but I've been training him not to. So it's like, ah. <sighs> Hey, Rich, want to know a secret? Yeah. I've hunted with some amazing <laughs> dog trainers, and sometimes their dogs yeah. break to go get that, oh, too. I'm so sure. don't you dare yeah. feel bad. I, I don't feel bad anymore, either. Yeah. It's amazing, though, like how many people watch the show, and then I'll get an email about, oh, that's terrible dog work. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, there are so many different variables that yeah. you don't see in a... Yeah. When you cut up 
uh, four acts into five, four and a half, five minutes. Yeah. You know, like you don't see everything that happens yeah. there. And yeah, sometimes dogs make mistakes. Sure. Sometimes we show that. But the amount of perfect dog handlers in this yeah. world is amazing to me because they come out of the woodwork as soon as one doesn't do <laughs> yeah, their, yeah. their job on TV. And it's like, yeah, you know what? Know. What do you want me to do? That's that guy. He's worked his butt off all yeah. year to, to be in this position with his dog. Yep. And the dog maybe didn't handle it perfectly, but that doesn't mean we didn't enjoy an experience together. And that's the reality for 99% of dog yeah. handlers out there, upland bird hunters. Yep. And, you know, we're just going to keep doing the best we can. And those situations, like, Trigger's going to be tight, you know, steady going into next season. Yeah. And there'll be times next season, too. Like, Daisy, the same thing. Yeah. She stood through, you know, popcorn flush of 20 pheasants in August and in the first weeks of September as we'd get out training. And now all of a sudden we're out there and we're filming a show and, and she holds this point on a bird and it flushes and my son shoots it and she goes and gets it. I don't say we're Like, I'm okay with that. I didn't release her, but you know, sure. it just still was magical. Yeah. And I think it just, um, enjoy what you get out of them in each yeah. individual situation yeah. there, but really you're holding the dog accountable. Yeah. And, um, some of these situations are just tough. They're tough on them. Do you think this is the best year of bird hunting you've ever had? Um, man, that's tough. I think, Numbers wise, probably, uh, bird numbers wise, for sure. Uh, but something about hunters last season was that it's going to be tough to beat that one. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's not over yet. Where are you going no. next? Um, I will probably just stay local. Um, maybe one more pheasant and then some grouse after Christmas. Um, there's some talk about going to Kansas maybe southwest but i don't know if it's going to happen. Hmm. We'll, well see. Are you are you are you doing quail? I've got a few hunts left. You do. Yep, i yep. do. I'm leaving in a few hours and and uh, <laughs> we're making Christmas grouse camp. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those years where, you know, the winter conditions this this year are so unique. Yeah. And rough grouse numbers have been Maybe some of the best that I've seen in my lifetime, yeah. and I don't know when this opportunity is going to come again. Yeah. So I'm hooking up the Ice Castle Fish House, and we're going to head north. And we don't know where we're going to go yet, but I will tell you this. I've never – I don't think that I've ever watched a rough grouse hunting television show filmed in the snow before. Yeah. You know, and I just think back in all the years, it's just something that – how many times are, like, I'm normally hunting quail or pheasants sure. in December and January. Yeah. And we're, we're heading to other places, yeah. and I just love the king. Yeah. I'm like you. I mean, I could hunt every day in the woods, and yeah. I would probably never get tired of it. Although, I, well, I, I just got done saying I'm looking at lots in North Dakota, <laughs> so it's not entirely true. But I love it, and we're going to try to hunt rough grouse in the snow. It's a challenge for a cameraman because where these birds are going to be, we don't know yet. Yep. They're not in the typical October covers anymore. Food sources change. A lot of changes, and I love the challenge. Yeah. So um, I think I'm going to record a podcast from the woods for our next episode. First, grouse the first Ice Castle uh, podcast of the year? Nope. Weston no. and I, my son, oh, when we were yeah. in North Dakota, we camped in the ice castle nice. out there on the prairie. And it's become kind of like my go-to bird camp. Yeah. Like, it's just, it's so easy. Hook up to it, and you have everything you need. I do intend to, I've had a lot of people reach out because they're like, what's that trailer that you haul around? Anybody south of Iowa, 
west of South, like southwest of South, southern half of South Dakota, yeah. and then like southerners that hunt, they see this ice castle fish yeah. house, and like you and I, it's just like yeah, it's an yeah, ice yeah, castle. It's ice castle. It's an ice fishing. It's a fish house. Yep. That's basically an RV. Yeah. You press a button and it hydraulics go. Beep, and it drops down on the ice. You have holes on the floor. You pop open the holes. You drill a hole through the ice. You fish. And it just blows people's mind down south. So I do want to do kind of like a little video. Yeah. This is what an ice castle fish house is. Um, and because the requests have come in because they just don't, they can't quite wrap your head around. <laughs> but it's our family RV. Yeah. It's my bird camp. Yeah. And it's my fish house, probably third. Oh, it'll be, it'll be fun. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyway, heading to the grouse. And then we're heading, I'm heading to Nevada. And oh, we're going to climb nice. some mountains. Chucker. With, with Chucker and Partridge or Huns and um, uh, Quail. Yeah. So I've actually got a busy couple of weeks coming up. Doctor has given me the green light to hunt again. Nice. And I'm so grateful. Yeah. I'm so grateful. Uh, Rich, appreciate you making time on short notice to Absolutely. come in here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm glad that things have worked out this hunting season for you and Trigger. And I love following the journey, just like so many of you listeners have shared your stories. It's just fun to share these together. Yeah. And uh, I know you're going to have great hunts the rest of the season. I hope that others that are listening can do the same and have a very Merry Christmas. I'll be back next time with an episode from Grouse Camp, I think, if we can pull it off. Awesome. Yeah, we'll be back then on another episode of the Flush Podcast. Yeah.